0: So, good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. Tonight, I'm joined in the studio by Edward White of the News Lens. Good evening, Gavin. And Yuen Mingchao of the China Post. Good evening. In today's show, we'll be looking at calls for an amnesty for former President Chen Shui-bian, concern over genetically modified potatoes, and yet another casino referendum. But we're going to begin with cross-strait issues and a couple of forums that have been in the news this week. The KMT met with its Chinese counterparts at the Cross-Strait Development Forum, while Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jers said that he will attend the Taipei-Shanghai Forum. So let's begin with the KMT CPC Forum, where Chinese officials described Taiwan independence as the biggest threat to peace and stability across the Strait, and also called for <coughs> adherence to the 1992 Consensus. For its part, the KMT's top delegate was outgoing Party Chairwoman Hong Shouju, and she voiced her support for the 1992 Consensus as the basis for cross-strait ties, and once again talked about her plan. For the signing of a peace platform between the two sides, so the forum it kicked off, big thing or not a big thing? Yuan Ming.
2: Well, um, I think the big thing was that Hong Shouzhu went herself because this this forum usually uh, the KMT sends a deputy, um, but of course she's outgoing, so she's kind of like a lame duck chairman. So um, more important because she didn't say anything relatively new, um, but her her. I think the the major take that we should get out of it is that she's trying to secure her stance on cross-strait relations within the the KMT, um, and um, and of course this is a problem for um, the upcoming uh, leader of the KMT, Wu Denyi, because he wants he has his own stance obviously, or his stance um, is also tied to that of his uh, his former boss uh, Ma ying so. What you have here is okay. Kim um, Hong going there, trying to secure her legacy, and she also has a bit more mobility uh, in comparison to Udeni, uh, who is subject to certain travel restrictions as a, a former vice president. Yeah.
0: right, Edward. Is, do you think this is a bit little too late for Hong Soju to make her legacy part of the cross-strait situation?
1: Yeah, for her situation, I think um, there's. This this would th- this doesn't make much of a difference. You know, she's been voted out, and she was never very popular among the general public in Taiwan anyway. W- what this event does show, though, these sort of pretty frequent um, meetings between the KMT and the Chinese Communist Party, they show that. At least from the KMT's perspective, they are the party that is still having some sort of conversations or dealings with the Chinese, you know, in the broader context that the Taiwan government can't really get a meeting with the Chinese government at the moment. It still does play into that narrative that they're the party that can deal with China because China will talk to them, whereas they won't talk to the DPP or the, the government at the moment.
0: Bowen, do you think China
1: really thinks it can talk to them?
0: Obviously, it was upset that Ma Ying-jeou didn't do everything that it wanted them, what it wanted him to do. So, do you think the, the Chinese Communist Party is still hedging its bets on the KMT turning things around, so to speak, in Taiwan?
2: Well, I think um, KMT, uh, the CCP is always happy to, you know, invite or to quote from Hong Xiao Zhu because her stance is um, decidedly more pro-unificationist than uh, the KMT's. Uh, Line since Ma Ying-jeou said it uh, when he was in office from 2008 to 2016. So, um, obviously, um, I think the CCP is disappointed with uh, how uh, the state of events have happened with the KMT, you know, with them losing uh, major elections, um, th- with them not having uh, any power in the legislative UN. Uh, so, Hong Xiu even though she is outgoing, she is a lame duck, she still has um, some. Support within the KMT. And so I think the CCP wants uh, to highlight that kind of support.
1: It's also another opportunity for China's propaganda machine to kick into action. You know, this was an event that wasn't very uh, thoroughly covered in Taiwan because it's not very important in and of itself. But if you look at the Chinese media coverage around it, you know, this is an opportunity for them to call Taiwan a province. And, you know, a friendly Taiwanese politician is out visiting, and there's a lot of state controlled media in China that that runs that narrative and it plays into their hands. So they they still get something out of it. And you know, even as late I think it was August or October last year, Xi Jinping, the Chinese president, was meeting with Chairwoman Hung. So there's still they still do leverage that that relationship even though there's not necessarily much benefit for Taiwan out of it.
0: and right, of course a day after that forum finished and they all popped back to Taiwan, the KMT hinted at a new China policy or possibly a new China policy. Policy, with the party's Culture and Communications Deputy Director Hu Wenqi saying that the KMT will craft a China policy that takes into consideration public opinion here in Taiwan. Now, the new China policy will apparently be announced at the KMT National Congress, which will take place on August the 20th, and that happens to be the same day that newly elected KMT Chairman Wu Dini will be sworn in. So, Ming, what, what can we expect a new China policy, or sort of a reworked China policy, or sort of much the same, as it was before china policy.
2: I think it's really early to to uh, a bit too early to tell right now because I'm sure that uh the incoming chairman is going to appoint his new uh staff and the major positions within the KMT leadership um, um so this will happen uh, probably around the time after he's sworn in of course. Um so I think to speak of a new policy right now is a bit too premature
0: and public opinion edward do you think how much public opinion do you think the kmt
1: will actually put towards their china policy well, i think they have to take it uh, into deep consideration given how unpopular they've been at the polls in the last few years in taiwan and there's definitely a movement among the young legislators in the kmt as well for pushing for reform you know they've identified that the Standard policies that they've had for the last few years are exceedingly unpopular in Taiwan, and so you know it's not just about cross strait. They're looking for other policies. They want the KMT to make some big changes internally in terms of the ability for younger legislators or younger party members to rise through the ranks more quickly. And they, those party members are looking for you know a large change within the party, and whether they'll get that from the new leader, I think um, like it, it, as as Ming said, it's too early to say. But at the same time, the indications so far is that he's not going to make that many large changes. So I wouldn't be expecting, you know, a very significant shift on that.
0: Right, of course, apparently, according to the Taiwan Brain Trust, at least, people in Taiwan don't want change because a poll released earlier this week said that more than 65% of respondents to the poll said they support a cross-strait policy, and I quote, that facilitates the maintenance of the status quo. The poll also found that if maintaining the status quo is out of question then 54.8% of respondents said then they would support Taiwan declaring independence. So obviously there's a poll that says more people support the status quo.
2: Yeah, but you know, with these polls about the status quo or maintaining the status quo, they're they're very uh, vague and and somewhat misleading because I think any time you have any politician talking about cross relations, um, their version of what it is to maintain the status quo is, of course, up to their definition. And um, of course, Tsai Ing-wen's stance of uh, maintaining the status quo goes all the way back to her um, campaign to become president and her stance on uh, the 1992 consensus and um, trying to, you know, trying to do everything that she can to uh, keep things the same despite uh, that is her maintenance of the status quo. Of course, I think we also have to look at the actions and the words of some of her own party members um, to see if this is still a viable uh, option.
0: Right. The, the, The status quo without that, Edward? Do you, think, do you think that? Do you think that can be a status quo without that? That being the 1992 <laughs> consensus.
1: Um, I, I guess uh, look, on, on this poll, let's take a, a step back and say it's pretty unscientific. It's um, it's carried out by a foundation that's linked to the former president Jin Shui-bian, who we'll be uh, talking about later, and it's a you know a pro independent or pro taiwan independence think tank basically uh, that does these polls and the questions are usually skewed in a way that they can be reported that people are pro-independence, people see themselves as Taiwanese first, people are fans of joining the UN, and, and all of these things are great, and, and perhaps they reflect the, the, the general sentiment in Taiwan, we don't really know. But what what we can say is that for Tsai Ing-wen, she campaigned, you know, the President, she campaigned on a certain platform, and that, that's what she has stuck to. The, the change that has happened has really been out of her hands in terms of China has said we won't deal with her if she's going to take this stance, but so far her you know her popularity ratings have swung around a bit mainly on domestic issues i would say i would say the general feeling and what she was voted on in her platform on status quo cross-strait relations hasn't changed much and I guess this poll reflects that but I'd be um, unwilling to say that it's a, a scientific indication of the sentiment in Taiwan at the moment. Right, let's leave the polls and move
0: on to the other forum and the one that has been under the most scrutiny, believe it or not, this week here in Taiwan, that being the Taipei Shanghai Forum, which is set to be held in Shanghai on July the 2nd. Now there had been speculation that the forum would either not be held this year or that Taipei Mayor Kerwin may even choose not to attend the event but of course as soon as he said that he would attend the rumpus all started with calls by city councillors and lawmakers alike for Kerr to either not to attend in protest over Panama's severing of ties in favour of Beijing or if he does opt to go to broach Chinese officials about Beijing's ongoing campaign to isolate Taiwan globally now I can't see the Taipei Mayor broaching any Chinese officials about anything heavily political
2: yeah, um, I think um, Ke Wenzhou's attendance here is more symbolic uh, than the actual substantive uh, deals or memorandums that they'll sign between the two uh, cities. So this is the first trip that a Taipei mayor has made to uh, Shanghai ever since uh, Tsai ing came into power. So that's significant in of a, of itself. Um, but I think we also have to uh take a look at this from um the perspective of his of his, his own political ambitions um because Cohenza uh, has teamed up with the d p p uh t- to get elected in two thousand late two thousand fifteen and those there's signs that there are cracks within that alliance, so um he might be trying to stake his own um stance for the next upcoming election without the d p p that's too early to say, but this is like Signag- Signalling at least that he is willing to um, take his own stance on major issues such as this,
0: right, Edward, do you think that Coinger will broach Chinese officials about Beijing 's limiting of Taiwan's space, or do you think they will simply talk about other things?
1: Well, the program as it stands is to talk about healthy environments, smart cities, and startups and public service and things like that, which will sound a bit boring, but nonetheless important. But I guess with Kowinja, we. I think we can say he's a a, a little bit of a wild card in terms of his public statements. You know, a wee while back he was quite um, negative, I guess, or pejorative about the level of democracy and freedom in Hong Kong, and then he sort of made some off the cuff remarks that were widely reported in Hong Kong, and was criticised for those, and then stood by them. And you know, he's capable of making these things. While he is a seems to be a, a fairly capable person and politician, he's still. You know, you never quite know what you'll get with him, so it's possible that he'll say something um, off the cuff while he's over there. The, the other thing, though, I, I would say with this event is that you know you could look at it as a very positive fact that the mayor of Taiwan, uh, mayor of Taipei, is, is meeting with the mayor of Shanghai. If you remember at this forum last year, which took place in Taipei because they alternate between the two cities, Shanghai actually didn't send their mayor; they sent. um I believe it was Sha Heilin who was the um, a sort of senior official in Shanghai, but also the head of China's United Front um, sort of propaganda unit of the CPC uh, CCP. So, you know, the fact that the two mayors are meeting on you know seemingly equal terms would be, I would say, a positive thing. And, and again, in an environment where the official you know leaders of or government minister level um, delegations from Taiwan aren't going to China these days. I would say that the international community would be happy to see any sort of semi-official dialogue happening between at least Taipei and Shanghai. And that
0: dialogue is apparently going to include basketball.
1: Why not? You've got to warm up before apparently, you get into talks. Apparently
0: it's one of the deals. They are going to sign a memorandum of understanding covering exchanges and cooperation projects, and these include deals between the University of Taipei and the Shanghai University, between Taipei's Neihu District and Shanghai's Pudong New area, as well as the promotion of basketball and consumer rights protection. So, Yunming, do you see Mayor Kerr bouncing a few balls around on the court with his Chinese counterpart?
2: yeah hopefully it's not track and field uh, <laughs> but <laughs> basketball seems like a, you know can't nothing can go wrong there uh,
0: the joke there about track and field it was kerwinger recently was out promoting the university ad was asked to run down a track and he fell flat on his face so hopefully he won't be doing that in shanghai <laughs> anyway we're going to take a short break now but we'll be right back after these commercials Welcome back to Taiwan this week, and there have been renewed calls for the government to grant former President Chen Shui-bian an amnesty. And the latest comes from 11 DPP Gaosheng city councillors who have signed a petition calling for President Tsai Ing-wen to grant Chen that amnesty. Council members from six municipalities and eight cities and counties have also reportedly signed the petition. And Gaosheng city councillor Xiao Yong-da has said that he hopes to gather enough signatures to file a motion at the DPP party congress which is due to take place in September in order to support a bid for Chen to be given amnesty. So Edward, can we see Chen given amnesty or is it do you think the Chen issue is something the government wishes would just sit in the corner and no one would talk about?
1: Yeah, I believe the latter. But what a you know, this just ultimately reflects the divide that's in the DPP between the what we call the deep green and those those are the you know, the old timers, the the people that played a huge role in Getting, achieving democracy for Taiwan, and they're still very powerful, and there's still a large number of them in the DPP, and they, sh- you know, they have a lot of influence. But you know, they are separate from Tsai ing and perhaps people that are supporters of her, or people that are. Um, Maybe more pragmatic, or happy to you know go with these things like the status quo and cross-strait relations that we talked about. The deep green people are pushing for tying one to make some bolder statements around independence, and this is extremely, for, I would assume from Tsai's point of view, extremely unhelpful. Um, you know, any leader likes to have the party united around them. Um, with with Chen shui I think that. You know, there are some perhaps other options. I know one of the other ICRT regular commentators, Bob Carl, has talked about perhaps giving him amnesty as opposed to an official pardon, that that might be a slightly more palatable option, Um you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see whether this gathers momentum outside of the inner workings of the DPP. If it's something that just stays within the party, saying one should be able to fend it off. But if it is something that, that the wider public gets um, behind, and, you know, of course, Chen shui is still quite a popular figure with some people in Taiwan. So let's wait and see.
0: So, Yuan-ming, an amnesty or a pardon? Or do you think either way
2: the government currently is going to be burning its fingers somewhere there? Um, this is a hot potato issue for for the DPP, and I think uh, what Edward said was completely right about uh, splits within the DPP on this issue. And I think Tang Wen is going to uh, factor in uh, her 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 stance as the president as of an entire nation. Yeah, um, so. But I think a crucial thing that happened this week with this petition was that uh, Kaohsiung Mayor Chen Jui said that she supported a pardon. And she said that, you know, she was trusting that uh, President Tsai would make a judicious decision on this issue. So that's increased pressure on her. Um, But I I don't think we will see anything uh, major on this because uh, ever since the the campaign uh, president Cai, uh, or Tang Wen, you know, she's tried to downplay this issue. So um, there's no reason for her, especially at a time when her approval ratings are so low, to to change this domestic status quo yeah
0: and of course an amnesty is one thing but a pardon is the other thing edward so do you think if the government was going to make do something about chen shui bien do you think it would lean towards an amnesty or a pardon which certain people might see as a bit no that's a bit too far
1: yeah, it would be I, I assume um, quite a provocative kind of statement you know saying one gave him a pardon at this stage I guess looking at it from the uh, you know the chinhuibian is his health isn't isn't great he's not in prison these days you know he's he's out on medical parole I believe but he, the, the thing with him is <laughs> he has a habit of getting himself back in the news and creating headaches so he was I think in late May he was out attending a, a birthday party or a, um, an official event and you know he was out on the condition that he wouldn't make statements and things like that but being the you know maybe not at his fault but he has a way of getting himself into the news and everything he uttered that evening was ended up being reported and then you know so prison authorities are now uh, I think looking into breaches of his parole condition so this is the problem right he he has a he's very popular uh, you know he's very popular with some people and he has a habit of Everything he says is reported, so he's very newsworthy. So it's quite a difficult proposition for for Tsai to just give him a pardon, knowing the trouble that he might be able to cause her down the track.
0: Yeah, I personally think the government wishes he would just remain free on medical parole and everyone would just forget about it. Because of course, Ming Every time someone mentions it, like Edward said, Chen something happens with Chen or his son says something, and it's all in the headlines again.
2: Exactly. I mean, as Edward said, um, he's very newsworthy. Um, one of the counselors, I believe, of one, of, uh, uh, I bet it was. I think it was Taizong said that you know Tang has to do th- something or else Abian is going to jump off, you know, a, a ten-story building or something like that. Like, yeah, so, <laughs> um, and the, the thing also is that. Um, there's also different tactics uh, involved in, in, in his case. I think his son uh, also wants to have the, the entire case of his, uh, of his the, the whole corruption case, uh, re-examined, uh, said that the trial was unfair. And so this could complicate, you know, any strategy of, you know, just a pardon. You know, they, they could want to try to overturn the entire case.
0: And of course, talking of cases against Chen Shui-bian, apparently he's back in court next month to face more charges. Uh, but he's back in court next month to begin as the judge sort of looks at his health and then it's possible he'll be dragged back in court in the coming weeks after that to face more charges in his corruption scandal. So that's a never-ending saga there anyway. Here's another never-ending saga and this one concerns potatoes and a new food safety issue we'll call it the food safety issue of the month because we can. But of course we're not talking about regular potatoes here, we're talking about genetically modified imported potatoes from the USA. And there are folks here in taiwan who oppose uncle sam's gm spuds being anywhere near the island now while we've made light of the genetically modified potatoes of course it is a bit of an issue because of course taiwan is looking to sign a free trade agreement with the united states and of course those people in the united states some of them will look at any excuse as why taiwan shouldn't sign a free trade agreement if it's going to block certain products from coming in william edward
1: you know, these are, just to, on the sort of broader point of trade issues first, I guess that these are quite difficult positions for Taiwan as they are for any other country except the stakes are always higher for Taiwan because they don't have the same access to trade international um Try, uh, international trade agreements that other countries have so there's kind of more on the line especially with the US which is a very important relationship for Taiwan so on the one hand you know they're being encouraged to open up their market and told that these access issues are necessary for them you know prerequisites for them to be able to be party to a trade agreement but on the other hand you know the the public in Taiwan and fair enough in my view is not necessarily that into having all these, you know, every single product that America wants to sell or whoever wants to sell to Taiwan, so GM food being one. And so, you know, obviously people on the, uh, I guess, right wing side of things will say, let the market decide, why don't we just let these potatoes in or whatever else in and then clearly label it and then people can choose if they want to eat a delicious... Organic diguire from the family mart they 're welcome to that, or if they want a, a gm made um, potato from America, they can have that as well but i don 't think it 's you know that simple right Taiwan, not that many people cook at home there 's a lot of um, takeaways and things you would i don 't think you could ever be one hundred percent sure where your food has been has come from and you know as for the u s pressuring Taiwan on these issues. Again, like I said, it's just—it it seems to me to be a fair complaint, and it puts the, that you know the the general public don't necessarily want all these products, and that puts pressure on the on the politicians to perhaps you know push back against um, the US and these trade negotiations.
0: Of course, the Food and Drug Administration here in Taiwan did say that it plans to tighten regulations on imports of GM potatoes if taiwan's government allows them to be imported and one of these ways would be simply to have food companies label the food differently so you'd buy some potatoes these would be called gm potatoes you buy other potatoes they're not gm potatoes you mean do you see any problem with that or do you think if people are given the choice to
2: buy the gm potatoes or not gm potatoes it's much fairer i think labeling is very important um but as you said about uh, the Food and Drug Administration's uh, um, stringent controls, um, and I, I think uh, they made the statement also um, in the context that no other Asian country has um, imported these, uh, uh, these form of uh, GM uh, potatoes that are supposedly um, less susceptible to heat um because the whole concern is this uh the content uh this chemical compound uh, acrylamide which um some scientists say that when you know high starch foods are subjected at high temperatures uh, it could cause uh cancer so these gm foods are supposed the ones that are proposed to be imported are supposed to you know correct this problem um but i think um with the import uh proposal i think these foods would be um would be um mainly focused on um uh, uh potato chips and, and french apparently, fries
0: apparently it was restaurants here a lot of these american sort of barry type restaurants yeah. it was their, pro- their their french fries yeah. their potato products were covered by this yeah i believe yeah. yeah but what was interesting of course all this potato puree came out And it happened to coincide with a statement by American Institute in Taiwan chairman James Moriarty, who said that Taiwan and the United States need to resolve their differences and to use the upcoming TIFA framework talks to resolve, in his words, trade irritants. So, Edward, do you think potatoes will join pork as a trade irritant between the two sides in the coming months?
1: Yeah, it, it, it may well, but as I said, it's this. It, there's, there's the broader problem that Taiwan faces, is in that when it goes to negotiate trade deals, it's always on the back foot because other countries know that Taiwan doesn't necessarily have any other options um, at this stage. So with something you know there are a lot of other examples where there are products that taiwan doesn't necessarily want they don't necessarily want to open their market um freely to to the rest of the world whether that's and it's not always a case of protectionists it can be things like food safety issues you know the other one that has come up recently was tobacco where you know the u.s um in the recent american chamber of commerce in taipei's white paper they were saying that taiwan should um, well, they were criticizing the tobacco controls and the process in which Taiwan has been putting in its tobacco controls, and you know things like introduction of plain packaging and You have to say that Taiwan is well within its right to you know implement its own laws, and these are issues that every country has with uh, when, when dealing with with America in particular, and that of course free trade on itself sounds ni- on its own terms sounds nice but when it comes to some of these issues countries like to have the right to say to put some limitations on especially on things where they, you know, the politicians feel you know, they have a good, good feeling of where the public interest lies on these issues
0: So I mean pork and potatoes Yuen Ming. I mean obviously if there's a problem with the GM potatoes do you think it will drag on like the pork ractopamine issue or do you think it will be much easier for the government to deal with the potato issue as we'll call it from now on
2: Yeah, I think it's very interesting because the potato issue, taken as itself, is not as um, as um, as disturbing as as complicated as the as the beef pork issue. Because um, um, if you look at the statistics, like uh, Taiwan's um, uh, is heavily it's not heavily reliant, but the 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 amount of uh, domestically grown potatoes uh, make up only thirty percent of the market here. So it relies on uh, the imports from other countries. Um, but as uh, Edward was saying about uh, the bargaining position with it for Taiwan to conclude uh, potential free trade agreements, um, this is going to be attached to larger issues. Um, I don't think there's a... As far as I know, you know, there's not a huge, powerful potato growers lobby <laughs> in Taiwan. Um, but I think both parties... See an opportunity to uh, consolidate their support around, um, you know, being health advocates, uh, health safe, food safety advocates on this issue.
0: Right, we shall move on from spuds and move on to something else, and that's being residents of Jingmen, who are going to head to the polls on October the 28th to cast their ballots in a referendum on whether to open the outlying island to casinos. Now, a bit of backstory, Penghu has rejected casinos in two referendums, while Matsu voted to approve gambling on their island in July of 2012. Of course, gambling is illegal in Taiwan proper, but um, statutes introduced many years ago allowed it to be introduced on the outlying islands now of course there's been talk about gambling on the offshore islands since the statute went on to the books many years ago but sadly the government has yet to act on any framework for how it will manage it so you Yuan ming this is this referendum on Jingmen in october
2: do you think it's just do you think it's important or do just think it's nobody really cares I think uh, we have to take it into context with uh, the past referendums. As you said, you know, uh, Penghu rejected it twice. And the second time it rejected it, it rejected it resoundingly with 80%. 81% Eighty-one percent of the voters. That actually came as
0: a big surprise. Yeah, to a lot of people. People, I think a lot of people thought that was either going to just pass or be a lot closer.
2: Yeah, um, um, and with the issue in Jingmen, it's also interesting because you have a lot of residents who don't live in Jingmen anymore, and the same could could be said for Penghu. So you had these people coming back to vote, and I, I think. Um, there's a similarity in that uh, context in Jingmen, but the difference is that you have two different tourism industries. And Penghu, um, is less reliant on visitors from China, but Jingmen is very close to mainland China. So um, the, the the different arguments that the tourism lobby there is going to is going to I think make a difference. Um, but um, I think as an issue, um, this will be. Um, this will be, you know, this will. Be, it, I, I doubt we will see a major uh, shift in this, especially since you know cross-strait relations are not, you know, at the highest right now. So if Jingmen wants to build this thing, I think it also requires some knowledge that you know China, China might be sending some, you know, some tourists to 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 make, uh, uh, you know, to take advantage of this. You know?
0: So Edward, do you see Jingmen siding with Penghu or Matsu on this issue?
1: I, I think it could be. Interesting, um, you know. Obviously, the Taiwan's government and the DPP and Taiwan, I think personally, has sort of come out against um, gambling, certainly in terms of the casino being casino proposal for Penghu. But at that time, you know, the government said we're not in, we're not in support of tur- uh, in support of gambling and casinos, and we think that these islands should be um, supported more by their tourism industry. And that's you know a nice thing to say, but you've got to back that up. So. You know Taiwan's economy is mixed at the moment. Stock market's good, but then again, you have other indications. Um, FDI, you know, foreign direct investments down thirty five percent so far this year, or for the first five months of this year. There's low wage growth. You know, these these issues. They're up against a powerful gambling lobby. The case will be made very strongly in those local areas, and if the government doesn't come through and you know, create jobs um, and have these ha- actually support the tourism industry. Then who knows if people are feeling the pinch in their in their wallets? Maybe they'll vote the other way. And particularly as Ming said, you know, this is an island that's been more reliant on China, and Chinese tourism has slowed in Taiwan by a huge amount. And while on the national level it's been replaced by um, or more than offset by visitors from other areas, I, I'm not sure if that's the case in, in Jinmen.
0: Right, I mean, you and Ming. I mean, do you, do you see if, if Jingmen OKs the casinos? It's going to happen tomorrow, or do you think it's going to be another? Let's wait another five years before there's even a, a framework to be able to build a casino, come resort.
2: I think. Look at Mazu; it uh, approved it. As far as I know, there's no action on the ground over there. Um, so I, I think it requires a framework if if this is what the residents want. Um, but if you look at the opposition to. Uh, casinos um, they have a they've been trying to repeal this uh, offshore development act and I think they have a point where um, they you know to bring up a, a, a casino referendum only requires 5% um, of the the, res- the signatures from the residents
0: and I believe I believe jingmen re- 6,000 people or something it's a very small number of yeah. people can actually vote on Jingmen.
2: yeah so I mean if 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 anybody could just, you know, get 6,000 people together, this is quite a costly venture in itself. But I think you you also have to look at um, uh, the local industry. Um, As um, in Penghu, the opposition was very successful because um, they were able to highlight the the deficiencies and the arguments of these uh, uh, pro-gambling lobbies because they were seen as, you know, PR... uh, uh, managers from outside the island, but that could be different in Jingmen because Jingmen has a very uh, strong um, tourism industry, um, and I, I believe it's it's more concentrated. And um, this could play uh, in the hands of you know it, this could be uh, more advantageous for them to make uh, arguments in favor of it. Yeah,
0: right. I mean, if they if they if they okayed it, Edward, would you pop off to Jingmen to gamble, or would you no gamble on Matsu?
1: Um, you had a choice. Where to go at the weekend, Jingman or Matsu? I don't mind a flutter. Um, look, whoever had the cheapest flights, I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: okay, because, but then that's, that's probably what Joe Public's thinking as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the idea in Taiwan, there's a little bit of a fallacy that, you know, because gambling is outlawed, that that firstly no one gambles, which is uh, untrue, and that secondly people don't like it. Well, I think, you know, both of these things aren't true. So while I'm I'm certainly not saying I support the building of a casino, that's not to say that one might not be successful was it built. But I think... um, These casinos, if I understand it correctly, they're more targeted at the foreign, the sort of the the broader Asian... Uh, region and the people that might come to, you know, Macau or something like that, and then you know, pop on a plane or a bit, maybe drop, stop in off a, a cruise ship or something like that. So it's more about the international market and um, probably not targeting us lowly paid journalists anyway.
0: Because uh, actually, resorts—they're not casino. They're not. They're actually, They're not advocating the building of just a big casino. It's actually going to be a resort. So there'll be a hotel, swimming pool, gardens. Again, where would you build this on Jingmen?
2: Yeah, that's very a uh, very good point because Jingmen has such a high concentration of military installations. So um, I think this is something that the government will be concerned about. A casino
0: tunnel. Casino there tunnel. you go. They, they they can open up those military tunnels into a casino.
1: It's a dangerous mix, isn't it? I was just gifted a bottle of um, Gao from from there. I think oh, yeah.
0: gambling, Gao Liang, and munitions. Yeah, it's a lethal combination. That really, isn't it. Anyway, you've been listening to Taiwan This Week with me, Gavin Phipps, and I've been joined in the studio today by Edward White of the News Lens. Good evening. And Yuan Ming Chow of the China Post. Good evening. And you can listen to a podcast of the show by heading to the ICRT website and going to the blogs section, where you can find it on iTunes or any
1: Android podcast apps. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8:30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.